Hey. Good morning, Crosswalk. Good to be with you today. And uh, just want to, before I get going today, I want to give a big thank you uh, to Pastor Tim Gillespie and his staff here at Crosswalk and for just the incredible leadership that they all provide in our territory here in Southeastern California Conference. As you know, they do an incredible job. And um, we are, I'm so glad that uh, Pastor Tim is on a sabbatical right now. Because as you know, he's a very hardworking pastor and he needs a little rest. And especially as we've gone through COVID and so forth, um, we're just glad he's getting some time off. So I, I wasn't sure if that was a setup for our series or was that him starting his sabbatical or what is that? Okay, I don't know, but it looked good. It looked like I would want to be there. So uh, thank you, thank you, Tim, if you're watching. And now if you're watching, turn it off and get some rest, right? Um, it truly is an honor to be here today with you. And we're excited in Southeastern California Conference about what Crosswalk is doing in our, in our community and in your local community and everything that's happening here. So thank you also for your involvement and for all the volunteer leaders that are in this church that do so much. Uh, we're just grateful for what you do uh, for the kingdom of God now and to come. Today, I've been asked to be part of this Christmas series on earth. And as I thought about Christmas, you know, I have fond memories, as I'm sure many of us here do, when we were younger. And when I was younger, we had a lot of great Christmas traditions in our house. Everything from, you know, the cookies that we made, to the families that we would go and gift, to, to the songs we would listen to, to the type of tree that we had. I mean, my family was really big about, about Christmas tradition. And one of the things was my mother was very musical. She's the reason why we had music in the house. And she would put on the record player. Yes, I know that's coming back. I'm excited to see that happening. She would put on the record, record player a record of the Lennon Sisters Christmas album. Now, I don't know if you've never heard this album. If you, if you have not heard this album, it's on Spotify. It's all out there. You can stream it. But it has all the classics, everything from the great, like, Joy to the World to, like, do you want to spend Christmas on Christmas Island? You know, do you want to, or I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus or whatever it is, you know, it's all on there. And they would put the record on the record player in this stereo that we had. You know, it was one of those pieces of furniture in the house, you know, where it was wood and the speakers were there. You know, you, you know some of you know what I'm talking about. And, and they would put that on when we went to bed. And so when we went to bed every Christmas growing up, it was the Lennon sisters. And so I knew, you know, and, and, and I think they were trying to get my neurons to fire a certain way every year so I'd go to sleep faster. You know, it's like if he gets used to that, the music goes on, he goes to sleep, then it's great. Well, of course, I had the hardest time falling asleep on Christmas Eve. So excited about, I'll just be honest, the toys, you know, the next morning, right? And so they would put on the Lennon Sisters and, and I would just hear this music and I just, oh, it was just so great. I just loved it, loved the album. And then, and then when the album would stop playing, you know, because they didn't have repeat on record players. You know, it's just like it ended. You had to physically move the needle back on, you know, and get it going again. And, and so when I, after you heard the album like several times and then it, didn't, it wasn't repeated the next time, you knew something was up. That's when I knew now, hopefully, if you have young children in the service today, cover their ears, all right? But that's when I would sneak out of my bedroom you're like, bad boy, bad boy. I would sneak out of the bedroom, tiptoe down the hallway and take a peek to see what was around the tree. And then I couldn't sleep for sure, you know, after that. But you know, during Christmas, we, we sing these songs, some of them fun, heartwarming, and then some of them very serious. Like I mentioned, Joy to the World. Just listen to the lyrics. You may, may know these already. Joy to the world, what? The Lord has come. 
That's a bold statement. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. I mean, that's a proclamation. That is quite a statement. I like some of the other words in the song. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Or this one. I love this stanza. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. That's the story of the gospel. That Jesus has come to deal with this curse and he comes to make his blessings flow, his goodness and his love, his righteousness, his peace, his justice, as far as the curse is found. He's not gonna stop until he gets to the source and make all things new again. But these lyrics are serious lyrics. They say very serious things and they're, they're fun to sing. You can hear all kinds of different versions of them from contemporary music to very traditional music to choirs to pop groups, you name it. But listen to the words. Think about the words, the lyrics of these songs express certain ideas that as Christians we believe in and we hold to be true. It reminds me of that wonderful passage in Isaiah chapter 9. I like to refer to Isaiah as the Christmas prophet. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But it goes on, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forward. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Do you believe this this morning, church? Five of you do, that's good. <laughs> These are strong words. These are strong ideas. These are strong beliefs that we take seriously, I think. I mean, I think about, I want us to think about how this morning, here's where I'm going this morning. I'm going to invite us to think about our thinking. Just, I know that sounds simple, but I'm going to invite us to think about our thinking this morning. I'm going to invite us throughout the message to think about the way we think and the things that we hold to be true. Because you see, the ideas that we hold that we may or may not be aware of, that we may be very conscious of or unconscious of, are the very ideas that we have about assumptions about reality. And how I know what reality I'm living out is how I'm living my life. Advertisers know this very well. You think about Black, you think about Black Friday, you think about Cyber Monday, you think about all these things. Advertisers are paying, companies are paying millions and billions of dollars to get you to think about your thinking about a certain product. And if they can get you to think about your thinking about that product, they can convince you enough that that is part of the reality you need in your life that you will spend your hard-earned money to get. You see, it's all about our thinking. As human beings, our lives are shaped and formed by the ideas and beliefs we hold to be true. And here's the catch. It happens whether we're aware of it or not. It's easy to go on autopilot. 
It's easy to celebrate Christmas and be on autopilot and not think about what are we really celebrating? Yeah, the birth of Jesus, it's so sweet. The manger, the animals, the star. But what really is this about? So my wife is a marriage family therapist. And as, as Mike was so gracious to introduce me with all these wonderful ways of being introduced, my wife was probably sitting there going, Who, who's speaking today? Yeah, I'm not sure. My kids, you know, online, I have my son in Tennessee. He's like, I thought dad was speaking, you know. But my wife's a therapist, and, and uh, Mike mentioned that I've been in ministry for 33 years, and I've been married 34 years. So I got married the year before I started uh, pastoring. And um, so I like to joke and say that I've been in therapy for 34 years, um, which is, I'm joking, but it's kind of serious, you know. God knew that I was interesting enough that I needed a therapist in my house, 24-7 to help me think about my thinking. Um, but I asked her as I was preparing this sermon, I said, I said, isn't therapy mostly about helping people think about their thinking? And she said, yeah, it is. To think about the thoughts that they have that they count as reality. And it could be anything from, you know, our childhood time or whatever my wounds that we have or, or successes or failures that we've had. And those things begin to shape those ideas, whether they're true or not, whether they're accurate or not, truths or untruths, they become reality to us. And the neurons fire a certain way and the neurons wire a certain way. And then we now live out that reality. And so as a therapist, she said, yeah, yeah, we help people think about their thinking. So what ideas and beliefs are we living out that may not be helping us live the life we believe we want to live or that God desires us to be living? What truths are we basing our life on or what untruths are we basing our life on? Today, as I mentioned, my hope is to have us think about our thinking for a few minutes through the message of Christmas. To do this, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 35, and it reads like this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And the child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You see, Simeon was older in age, probably in his 80s or so. He'd been in the temple for decades 
And he had seen many babies come, being offered as a, as a blessing and as a dedication to the, Lord, to the Lord. And he knew because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, because of the reign of God in his life, and because of the ideas and the thoughts that formed his beliefs and his own reality, that when the Holy Spirit moved on him, when that baby came in, Jesus, he recognized the Messiah. And he praised the Lord that his, he called himself the servant. I can now rest now because I've now seen the salvation of my God. And listen to these strong words. He says, he will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And then he also says, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. I like what N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar, biblical historian says, this, Luke is saying, is what happens when the kingdom of heaven confronts the kingdom of the world. The picture is of Jesus as the true ruler, the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior, the real king of the world instead of Caesar. Luke does the opposite. He writes of a different sort of kingdom to that of Caesar Augustus. It is indeed what God had promised Luke is warning us that it doesn't look like what people had expected. The way Jesus came, for those who might know the story, was in a way that was a different idea, a different belief than what people had thought. I mean, at the time of Jesus, you had people like the Maccabees who were freedom fighters, and they thought that they could revolt and bring in the kingdom of God by force. You had people like the Sadducees and the religious leaders there at the temple who co-opted with the local government and just thought if we could kind of keep the status quo and just let's keep everybody under control, we could live a good life. And you had people like the Pharisees who believed that if we could keep the law perfect enough, we can usher in the reign of God. Or you had people like some of the monastic communities that we read about in the Dead Sea Scrolls, like the Essenes who thought if we could pray and fast enough, we can finally get God to come. And all their ideas were wrong. But it shaped their reality. And it's how they lived their life. And Jesus came, God came, as we know, as this, as this baby. You see, Jesus' Jesus's birth really messed up a lot of people's thinking. And if you're familiar with the life of Jesus in the Gospels, his teaching messed up a lot of people's thinking. When Jesus came... He said this word, repent, repent. And it was followed by, for the kingdom of God is here. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Or he would say, the kingdom of God is near you, which meant it's right here. It's not near like coming soon. It's right here in your presence. It's right near to you. He said, repent. And when you break down the understanding of that word repent, it means this. And you've heard me say it already this morning. Think about your thinking. Think about your thinking. The kingdom of God is right here and you have it. You're not thinking correctly about the kingdom. That's why when he would talk to people, sometimes he would say, ah, oh, you're not far from the kingdom. Repent. Think about your thinking. You might remember, if you're familiar with Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, he said these words, which are traditionally known this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else should be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom. Think about your thinking. I like the way Eugene Peterson translates it in the message translation. He says it this way. Jesus said, steep your life in God reality, 
in God initiative, in God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention, what you think about, to what God is doing right now. And don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. Listen to that. Steep your life in God reality, in God initiative, in God provisions. This is the Christmas story. God's initiative coming to the world. God's provisions, a savior who's going to rescue us. God's initiative. He did it in spite of ourselves and our sin. I mean, Jesus was constantly saying things like, you've heard it said, but I say, right? Or I love in the great gospel commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28, when he says, go ye into all the world, right? And make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it goes on, but, but again, Eugene Peterson in his translation of the message, he puts it this way, submerge them, instead of the word baptize, submerge them in the reality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Whole different view of baptism, isn't it? Submerge them in the reality of the kingdom of God and the reign of God. And one of the reasons why Jesus' teaching was so radical and so powerful and so full of authority was because of the ideas he taught about. And he challenged everyone's thinking, even his own disciples. I mean, when you read the gospels and you look at the dialogue with the disciples, how many times was their thinking way off? And yet Jesus kept, he was so patient, right? Like I, I, love, I love the part where in the Gospels where James and John are walking, they're upset with a group of people and they're like, let's call down heaven on these people. I mean, let's call down fire. <laughs> we want to call down heaven, but let's call down fire on these people. And Jesus is like, well, let's think about our thinking on this. Probably not the best idea. Probably not good in what I'm trying to accomplish here. But Jesus constantly, part of the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus invites us into his kingdom. Doors are wide open. The cross has happened. The resurrection has happened. And he says, now... Come under my teaching. That's what the yoke is, right? Take my yoke upon you, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. My heart is gentle and it's humble. And you will find rest for your souls. When he invites us to come under his yoke, that meant to come under the teaching of a rabbi. And he was saying that all the other rabbis, the way the ideas they were teaching were burdensome. It was a heavy yoke. And so if you want a light and easy yoke, you come under my teaching. You let me be your master. You let me be your rabbi. John Orberg says this, Jesus' gospel contrasts two ways of thinking. The more common version is thought to involve how people ensure, what they, will, that ensure they will go to heaven when they die. It's about how to go from down here to up there. The other understanding is that the gospel announces the availability of life under God's reign and power now. It's about up there coming down here on earth. I want to share some thoughts with you uh, from a Christian philosopher named Dallas Willard. He, uh, he taught at University of Southern California for 40 years plus. And... Um, I heard him talk one time and, and, and he said, every, every major religion has to answer four questions. And he says, in fact, really every human being should answer these questions. And the first one is, what is reality? That sounds like a good question to ask ourselves, right? 
What is reality? Am I living in reality? The second question is, who is really blessed in this life? Who's really happy in this life? Who's really well off in this life? The third question is, who is a good person? Who's a good person? And the fourth one is, how does one become a good person? Those four questions. And then Dallas went on, being a Christian. He said, this is how I believe Jesus would answer these four questions. One, what is reality? He said, I believe Jesus would answer reality is the kingdom of God. Reality is the kingdom of God. That's why he said, think about your thinking because the kingdom has come and it's not what you, what you think it looks like or what it's supposed to be. But if you want life abundant, it's in my kingdom and there is no other life apart from my kingdom. And then he would go on and say, who's really blessed in this life? Who's really happy? Who's really well off in this life? And Jesus would say, someone who's alive in the kingdom of God. <laughs> someone who's alive in the kingdom of God. That's why on the Sermon on the Mount, when he did all the blessings, blessed are the poor, blessed are those who mourn, he was saying, you're well off because you don't have to be rich to get in the kingdom. You can be poor and the kingdom of God is coming to you. You are blessed. You can be mourning and grieving. You don't have to be all happy and joyous all the time. The kingdom of God comes to you in your mourning. You're blessed. And then who is a good person? Jesus, I think, would say, someone pervaded with agape love. Agape love, that self-sacrificing love, that, that charitable love, the one that, that lays down its life for another. You know, sometimes the Spirit convicts me and said, John, every once in a while the Spirit, you know, when the Spirit does it, he kind of meddles, you know, a little bit. It's like, oh, please. John, so when was the last time you got in trouble for loving somebody? Oof. You know, Jesus got in trouble all the time for the way that he loved people. Someone pervaded with agape love. Someone that is just, it's in their DNA because God reigns in them. It's a supernatural love. It's not a natural human love. It has to come from heaven above, down below. And then finally, how does one become a good person? Jesus would simply say, come follow me. Come follow me. You want to learn how to live life in my kingdom? Follow me. Let me be your teacher. Let me be your master. Let me be your Lord. I am your savior and I want to be your Lord because under my sovereign reign is where freedom comes because I will save you from yourself. The ego is a terrible thing, isn't it? <laughs> and I can tell you, being in ministry for 30 plus years and walking with Jesus longer than that, he has done a lot of having to save me from myself over the decades. And it sure ain't over yet. <laughs> Pray for my wife. <laughs> but she's a therapist, so she can handle it. As humans, we seem to be very concerned about getting into heaven. But when we read the Gospels, it seems Jesus is more concerned about getting heaven into us. Just think about your thinking on that this morning. The biggest thing Jesus wants to do this morning is to reign in our lives. We're forgiven. We've been justified. All of the great things about he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And you know what? If that's all we're living, we're missing out on the reign of God now. 
We get to live under the reign of Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, when he comes, it's just for eternity. It's what I like to refer to as the good, good news. That Jesus says, come be in my yoke. Come live with me. Let my kingdom reign in you. According to Jesus, his kingdom must be the navigational center of my life. His kingdom must be the navigational center of our life in which all intentional living moves out from. We don't drift. It's easy to drift in this life, isn't it? It's easy to like, I've been there, you know, go on Instagram and man, how many minutes did I just put on that dark hole? Wow. It's easy to drift. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, you know, we could probably all use a little more self-discipline in that area. Henry Nouwen said this, to set our hearts on the kingdom, therefore, means to make the life of the spirit within and among us the center of all we think, say, and do. The kingdom of God is within you. It might sound something like this, like Paul wrote in the book of Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, that is now on earth in my life, not to come. It has come. That's the message of Christmas. The kingdom of God has come to us. And think about your thinking because it doesn't look like the ideas that we might have had about Christmas. It came in the form of a very vulnerable baby. It came to a poor, young couple. It came in the form of a, of a carpenter. A human being. See, one of the things I love about God is that he's not a God that, that likes distance between us. He's not a God that says, oh, we need to help them with their problem and we'll, we'll, we'll take care of that. He's a God that came down and took on flesh and bone and looked humanity in the eye and says, I get what's going on. And I'm here to redeem you. And it's done by being in my kingdom. I want to share a story that's dear to my heart about one of my dogs. Now, I heard that dog stories are kind of a theme now, it seems like, at Crosswalk. Um, I was here when Andy was preaching, and I got to hear about his dog. And then uh, when I was here Thursday, we were recording the message, and uh, I put up my dog, and like, oh, yeah, another dog story. You know, and it's like, oh, okay. So anyways, a story about one of my dogs. Um, you're going to see a picture that has two dogs uh, lying next to each other. And uh, the one on your right is Dakota. That's Coda. We call her Coda for short. The one on your left is Obi. And um, Obi is a Labradane, part Black Lab, part Great Dane. And, and uh, Coda is a Whippador, part Whippet, part White Lab. And we used to have a little dog named Ashitaka. Um, I know. Uh, uh, we, we adopted all these dogs, actually. Uh, but Ashitaka, we called him Ashi for short. And Ashi was a, you know, get, get a load of this. Ashi was part Maltese, part Poodle, part Chihuahua. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Superhero. <laughs> uh, when, when Ashi was dry, he looked a lot like a Maltese. When he was wet, he looked a lot like a Chihuahua. <laughs> um, but we, before we adopted Dakota, we were on vacation about, I don't know, six, seven years ago down in San Diego. 
And we were on spring break. And my kids were in high school at the time, and, and they were like, hey, let's go to the animal shelter. And we're like, why would we want to go there? We're on vacation. And they're like, oh, you know, we want to get a new dog. And we're like, no, we're on vacation. And they said, well, well then they, they break you down. Well, we just want to go look at the dogs. All right, all right. Tell my wife, be strong, be strong. <laughs> we go there, and we see, we see Dakota in her pen, just sweet as could be, just all calm, you know, and collected, and we're like, oh, yeah, well, let's take her out. Took her out to the grass area and played with her, and, and uh, she seemed pretty good. But then, then I started getting some, some red flags. The, um, the person at the Humane Society said, um, so do you guys have tall walls or fences at your house? And we said, well, you know, six feet, standard. What? They're like, oh, that, that should work. And I, Why do you ask? Well, because if it's not high enough, she's going to leap. She's gone. Like, okay, I think six, six feet will be enough. And then they said, second question, do you have a gate? You mean to like get in the backyard? And they said, yeah. Well, make sure that's always closed. Because if that's open, she's bolting, she's gone. Okay, getting a little concerned. Third question, do you guys like to walk your dogs like to a cafe, you know, like on Sunday morning, go get breakfast? They go, yeah, yeah, we, we like to do that. You won't be able to do any of that. <laughs> and so uh, what do you think we said? We'll take her, right? <laughs> like, we're nuts. The kids melted our heart down enough that there it was. And, and so we brought her home. We brought her home, and, and poor Coda, she just, she just was anxious the whole time. She's shaking, you know, just shaking. And we're like, oh, poor thing. And, and we would pick it up, you know, we had to carry it into the house. And then we brought it into the house, and we went and sat in the family room. And she wouldn't come sit by us. She was like over in the kitchen. And we're like, come on, Coda, come on over. And she's like, just shaking, not coming pick her up, bring her over. We had to pick her up to take her outside to go to the bathroom. We had to pick her up to bring her in after going to the bathroom. It was like, okay, we got to figure out what's going on. So I'm going to make a, a long story short and say we finally gave up and hired a doggy psychologist. <laughs> we hired a dog whisperer, not the dog whisperer, but a dog whisperer. And so he came over and he said, all right, so what I want you to do for the first just, you know, few minutes is just live your life. Just do what you do when you're here, when I'm not here and I'm invisible. I'm just going to watch you. And then I'll make some observations, and then I'll tell you what we need to do. And we said, okay. So we did that. So after he observed us, he said, okay, here's what's going on. Ashi is the alpha. And not just of the dogs. <laughs> I go, I'm paying money for this? <laughs> Ashi is the alpha of the house. Now, as I mentioned, Ashi was a really good dog. And one of the things that Ashi would do that we loved, Ashi would just get up on our lap just whenever he wanted to. And he'd be like, oh, great puppy, you know, just great dog. Yeah, we love you and so forth. He goes, well, here's what's going on. This is, let me tell you what, what Dakota is thinking about. These are the ideas she has about reality. Coda sees Ashi getting up on your lap anytime he wants to, which tells him, Ashi is, tells her, Ashi is more powerful than you. And so if a predator comes, you will not have the power or the ability to protect her. And Dakota knows that physically she can take Ashitaka. And if she can take Ashitaka and Ashitaka can take you, then when a predator comes, she only has herself to protect her. So she is anxious all the time. She's on 24-7 alert of a predator because she doesn't trust you. She knows Ashi can't protect. There's no way. At the time, we didn't have Obi, 
but I don't think she would trust him either. And so he said, here's what you need to do. I want you to take the next two to three weeks to do this and it'll fix everything. And so he said, this is what I want you to do. Whenever Ashi jumps up on your lap, you just gently push Ashi down and say no. And then you can call Ashi up when you want to, but only at your command. And if you do this consistently for the next two to three weeks, you will discover that Dakota will trust you and see that you have all the power in this house. That you are strong enough, you are capable enough, you are competent enough to govern her life and that you can protect her from anybody. And so we did it for two to three weeks and it worked. It worked. Dakota goes out front yard without a leash, comes at our command. We walk down to cafes. She doesn't leap. The gate's wide open. She doesn't go running off because she completely trusts my ability to govern her life. She completely trusts my ability to provide and to be able to protect her. And church, this is the Christmas story that Jesus came. He asked us to think about our thinking. Jesus came and says, think about your thinking. Do you trust that I am capable and competent enough to reign over your life? Or are there other things, other people, other sources, other whatever it is that you are putting your trust in to reign over your life because you have more confidence in them than Jesus Christ? Remember, Jesus Christ came. Yes, I want you in my kingdom, but I want my kingdom in you. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Why? Because this is where the decisions are made. This is where I, as created in his image to rule and govern on this earth, make the decision of who's going to rule and govern over me on this earth and in the life to come. And so he says, come follow me. Think about your thinking. I want to invite us to do something for the next two or three weeks. I want us for the next two or three weeks, I want to invite you to pray a certain way. I'm going to ask you not to pray for the next two or three weeks for God to be with you. Instead, I want you to pray. When you feel that urge to ask him to be with you, just thank him that he's already with you. Because we don't have to ask him to be with us. That's why he came. That's what the Christmas story is about. Think about your thinking. He's not off somewhere distant. And if I pray or fast enough or anything like that, that he will come. He came. Merry Christmas. He's here. He lived, he died, he rose again. And he's given us the Holy Spirit, he said, so that he would not leave us as orphans. But to live in his kingdom so that no matter what the enemy tries to do to us, no matter what any human being tries to do to us, our kingdom is on the rock of Jesus Christ. And think about our thinking. What are the choices I make that maybe reveal I don't trust in the competency and the capability of Jesus to reign over my life? because that's the good news of Christmas. God initiative, God reality, God provisions. So for the next three weeks, all the way up through Christmas, when you pray, thank Jesus that you don't have to ask him to be with you, but that he's already come and let him reign in our hearts and lives. Let's pray. Jesus, you are more than words can give praise to. 
Jesus, I thank you that in spite of the way we think, the way humanity's thought over millennia, it didn't stop you from coming, but you were determined, you were faithful, you persevered to come, to empty yourself, to humble yourself, and to become a man. And your life and your teaching and your death and your resurrection reveal to us without question that you are more than able, more than capable, more than competent, more than powerful enough to reign over our fragile lives. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come and your will be done on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. Would you now just take a moment in silent prayer to just be still and listen to the spirit or if you prefer in the stillness of your heart, share your heart with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit this morning.